Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where we take a film studies approach to films that will never, I mean never, find their way into a film study syllabus. This month we've got a special theme of thank yous and love back to you, the dear listener, because you've given us so much love and given us so many listens over the month of February, so March is all about you. That's right. In March, we are having You Pick the Trash Month. We are letting the listener and any listener who chooses to submit movies, we will, we will do those movies for you and analyze them on the show. Even if that means bending the rules of what trash means a little bit. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. But I know you don't want to be here forever. You know, I got things I want to do in my life. Wayne. You got red on you. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. This week, our selection comes from Mr. Brigham Cole, and that is Sam Rockwell in Moon from 2009. The directorial debut of uh, The Son of Bowie, Duncan Jones. No kidding. Yeah. It's a film in which a physics astronomer finally makes his way and crashes uh, his uh, bullet-shaped rocket ship into the pie face uh, look of the man in the moon. But we'll uh, get into those spoilers more later, dear listener. Uh, We want to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means we will spoil later. But first, we'll have a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema back again from the dead, and then uh, we'll have our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. And after that, dear listener, spoilers ahoy. Before we do that, we should introduce all the disembodied voices, should we not? So you know who we are. Sir, to my left, Voice of the Cinema, why don't you introduce yourself? I am Arthur Gordon, and I'm either a wacko or an illegal immigrant. True, true facts. I think all of those things are true. To the extreme left, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and you look like a radioactive tampon. Like a banana with a yeast infection. Okay, to my right, sir, if you introduce yourself. My name is Dalton Stewart, and can I get you a cup of hot soup? <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells, and your safety is my first priority. Thank you so much for being here, dear listener, and uh, thank you so much, dear co-host. Let's begin with that quick synopsis now from The Voice of the Cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would please, sir. Astronaut Sam Bell has a quintessentially personal encounter toward the end of his three-year stint on the moon where he, working alongside his computer Gertie, sends back to Earth parcels of a resource that has helped diminish our planet's power problems. 
That is an impressively long synopsis. And Thank you. I don't know how much of that actually relates to the movie I saw. Like, I mean, he does send resources back to Earth, but that's not exactly the prime focus of the no, movie at all. Not at all, but I guess you'd get into spoiler territory if you went further than that, would That's you? true, that's true. Well, thank you so much for that. Let's give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I love this movie so much. Uh, I hadn't seen it since uh, it uh, very first came out back in 2009, so it was uh, a real pleasure for me to revisit it. Uh, I mean, looking at how beautiful this film is, it's, you, it's shocking how little money uh, Duncan Jones had to make it on. I mean, the production design is amazing. Um, the special effects, I mean, they're they're fine. There's they You can tell they... they do the best they can to to uh, not show their limitations, but I mean, really, the inside of that lunar base is just really kind of something to behold. I mean, it's uh, the very beautiful, white, geometrical, just stereotypical uh, space base uh, architecture that you expect. Uh, something I noticed that I had never noticed, uh, the, or had rather, I had noticed the one other time I'd seen this film was how great the sound design in this movie is. I don't know if you guys know this. He's walking around and you can hear. Gertie whirring on like his little his wheels like you can hear all kinds of things happening um in the background throughout this film um but really I mean I don't think you can talk about this film without talking about Sam Rockwell's performance I mean it is pretty much a one-man show uh and he he's he's amazing I've always been a huge Sam Rockwell fan um and I mean I've watched movies exclusively because he was in them um and Moon is no exception, actually. Moon, uh, I was partially drawn to the film because Sam Rockwell was in it. That was a big selling point for me, and the premise sounded interesting. Um, I, I've I've always felt like he's a really underutilized and underappreciated actor, um, and, and he just knocks it out of the park in this film. I mean, his, his performance really is the driving force of this film, although, I mean, he gets some help from uh, in the form of VO from Kevin Spacey, who 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 is perfectly serviceable as a... Uh, the the cutest little AI you've ever met, and uh, does not go where you think it would with that robot at all. Um, I, I I like this movie a lot, guys. I don't really have much more to say about it than that. Other than that, it just it's it's moving, it's beautiful, it's interesting, it's thought provoking. And if you have not got around to checking out Moon, you should definitely do that. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, I believe this is your first time as well. It was um, as well as myself, not as Dalton. Gotcha. Uh, what are your thoughts? I really enjoyed this movie. I had a wonderful time watching it. It was eerie. It was thought-provoking. Um, it really made me feel very deeply. Um, I, it was very quite easy to get into Sam's shoes completely um, as a man you know, struggling with what it means to be a human and to be alone and what lo- being alone actually means. And I, I loved Kevin Spacey's performance as Gertie. That was phenomenal. And you're right, Dalton. Like, I was like, oh, I know how this is going to turn out, you know. Yeah, I can't go too much further than that to get into spoiler territory. But, but yeah, the, the helpful AI usually goes somewhere else. And it and was kind of a fresh, it was And considering it's Kevin Spacey's playing the AI, Kevin Spacey kind of has a bit of a notorious streak for playing specific kinds of characters. And uh, one would think, but I was pleasantly, um, I was pleasantly surprised at the turn of events. And I'm just going to echo a lot what Dalton said. It's beautiful cinematography. The, the, the moon itself, I believe they were on the moon. I, I mean, I didn't really, I couldn't really nitpick a lot about some of the special effects, even though 
they're obviously trying to mask that budgetary problem. I I have to one put a quick note on something that Dalton did bring up. Besides the sound design, uh, the score. The score is amazing. It is actually something that I started research. They have it on vinyl, and I might actually buy it because my roommate has a record player, and it would be totally worth owning it on who, vinyl. Who did the score for this, Alex? So Clint Mansell did the score, and he's apparently the former frontman for Pop Will Eat Itself. I'm unfamiliar with that band. I'm not. I'm not cool. I know nothing about this. Yeah. I wish I was cool and could Likewise. say yes, but I I've never really had an a thing for owning uh, records on or owning you know owning scores. I, I like. I mean, you can buy the digital downloads, or if you're really naughty, you can rip it off of YouTube, which I can and. But this would be something to actually own. It's that good of a score, and it, it contributes that well to the movie. Um, really sets the tone and the mood of the film. And gosh, I can't even think of a bad thing to say about it. Um, I could. I'm going to get a little critical in my review about some of like the plot elements, but there's nothing um, technical that I can really. Oh, a, a, analysis, you're going to get technical, nitpicky, you mean? Yeah, I'm going to okay. get nitpicky analysis, but uh, not anything technical that really detracts from the performance. Okay. Um, so I'll give this four beans without hot sauce out of five. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. Well, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think of this movie? A uh, quick producer's note, uh, Clint Mansell uh, has scored all of Darren Aronofsky's films, okay. which may be where he's ah, most notable from, there you go. as well as Doom and uh, several others. So D- he's Doom? Done- yeah, starring Carl Urban and Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson Johnson. Correct, and Smoking Aces. Okay, and Sahara. So he's done quite a bit of work. Good to know. Thank you, Arthur. Always. He's count someone on you. to remember. Definitely. As far as the movie goes, uh, this is definitely a thumbs up for me. Uh, Rockwell just kills it in mm-hmm. his role here, and and Duncan Jones just does a really good job uh, with crafting this and with the suspense and not knowing what's really going to go on or what's happening, and it really ratchets up and it's really taut and that's nice. They also do a good job, as everybody said, overcoming those budgetary restrictions uh, with their use of miniatures and things like that. And it looks great. And so this is definitely a recommend. I would give it seven meticulously crafted miniature Salvation Army buildings out of nine. Beautiful. <laughs> Nicely played, sir. I-, I like the movie a lot. It was also my first time to watch the movie. And, uh, you know, seeing Sam Rockwell lost in an Apple store, falling in love with Siri was a very, very fascinating experience uh, to be watching. <laughs> and uh yeah but no really his performance is great um i think uh the there is a twist of some significance in the film and it was hidden well i was guessing several things at once and uh that is always a good uh, sign of successful uh implotment in, in terms of that and I'm, I'm curious to hear alex's nitpicky details uh later but really really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was moving. I thought it was thoughtful. I thought it raises issues and important questions as a film. And so I've got nothing but good things to say about it. I give it five and nine sixteenths space combines out of a possible seven. And uh, they really are combines. That's a great observation. I like space concubines. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's yeah. actually something completely different. Uh, I well, for I forgot to uh, to give a rating. Well, why don't you do that? Um, I give it. 13 teeth falling out of possible 14 and a half. I had to close my eyes during that part. Was that like, was mm. icky. I don't like teeth out of heads where they shouldn't be. So, boof. 
Teeth should always be in heads. Yeah, if they're supposed to be there. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you all very much, dear listeners. Spoilers ahoy. We're moving now into our analysis section. What, in terms of analysis, bring you, Mr. Arthur Gordon? What is interesting about Moon is the genre tropes that it presents us with. Uh, For all intents and purposes, it is an isolation film. A singular actor put into a singular locale to deal with a man-versus-self type conflict. Uh, This man-versus-self conflict is progressed a stage further by introducing a physical manifestation of that self-identity with which there is conflict. After three years alone at this facility, Sam must literally come face-to-face with himself. However, what Duncan Jones and screenwriter Nathan Parker do is refocus the tropes of a different sci-fi genre to facilitate their needs here. That is, the tropes of the time travel film, which I think is interesting considering Jones' follow-up to Moon was singularly concerned with time travel. Now there are two key tropes brought into play here from that genre which develop and truly allow this film to stand out. The first trope is the trope of not meeting yourself in the past. This trope of not meeting yourself is one of the primary theories of time travel in cinema, as it is believed that upon that interaction it could create a rip in the universe, drive one or both parties insane, or create general mayhem and zaniness. Sam 5 and 6 were never supposed to meet. They were never meant to interact because it could throw all sorts of wrenches into the machine. This is more true of Sam 5, who has begun to elicit symptoms similar to that of radiation poisoning, or so my research tells me, and his memory isn't as accurate as that of Sam 6. To be clear, dear listener, what we're revealing at this point is that Sam Rockwell is a clone, and this is the fifth and sixth iterations. Correct. For for those of you listening to this without watching the movie, for whatever reason. Why? Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sam Rockwell is not the real Sam Bell. Uh, and neither is the other Sam Rockwell we meet. There's a question of, is one of them real and is one of them not? And then we realize, no, 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 no. They are very much both clones. Once the two are introduced to one another, it creates several conflicts within Sam 5. Namely, who am I really? And what is really going on? Sam 6 understands the idea of clones at the time has passed since the original mission began. However, Sam 6 has delineated too far down the rabbit hole to grasp this concept. And it isn't until he tries to contact his wife that he realizes what is really going on. Okay, at this point, we are in a similar situation to what we would see in Mr. Peabody and Sherman, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Back to the Future, and other time travel films of the nature. Sam 6 realizes the sorts of problem that could arise from the meeting of he and Sam 5, so he is tasked with coming up with a solution, which is the second major trope being used, and that is the reassembling of the true timeline. This is the point where the main character must realign the stars so that none of the events that have happened can actually happen. In Moon, this plays out rather smoothly as Sam 6 realizes that the rescue expedition is coming to take care of some things, namely Sam 5. Sam 6 organizes a plot that sees the dying Sam 5 take the place of the dead clone that the rescue team is coming to find. Sam 6 then resets Gertie's memory upon his departure from the moon and has Sam 7 on the table prepared for awakening. Sam 6 then escapes back to Earth just as the rescue team lands. Several situations here play out uh, similar to what you would see in Alfonso Cuaron's adaptation of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, where they're trying to save Buckbeak and Sirius, and they're using the time-turner to get back around and change things. Uh, The final trope, or more of a thematic device than anything, that Jones incorporates here that is usually found in time travel uh, and is certainly a theme he would revisit in source code, and that is the idea of spirals or time loops. It is another theory within time travel that time is on an infinite loop and that there are timeline after timelines after timelines where everything always plays out the same unless someone intervenes and shifts the timelines forever with new results. We see this quite a bit in source code where our main character is constantly cycling back through time loops to try and stop a terrorist attack from happening. This plays out in Moon over the course of a three-year cycle, where every three years a clone awakens, serves a term, dies, and another is reborn. 
in time travel films, the protagonist usually succeeds uh, once they have shifted or realigned the timeline. In Azkaban, Harry and Hermione shift the outcome of the timeline, allowing Sirius and Buckbeak to escape. However, Back to the Future, Marty has to make sure that his parents meet or else he will cease to exist. Similarly, Moon plays to this trope as Sam Six does just that. He first resets the timeline, and then afterwards he arrives back to Earth and informs them of the misdeeds of the corporation that he worked for, ultimately providing a new destiny for the time loop he was previously stuck in. Interesting. No, I like that, Arthur. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not a time travel story at all, but it absolutely is playing with those same sort of standard science fiction tropes in in a very interesting kind of way. I, I really like that reading a lot. Well, thank you very, very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you bring in terms of analysis? Well, I kept thinking about something when I was watching Moon, and that was, is this serving a greater purpose? We, we see this cold open at the beginning of the film where we learn that the, the corporation whose name I can't recall is... Um, I think it's Lunar Inc. Lunar Inc., yeah, or whatever. They, they have effectively solved all energy problems on, on planet Earth. Uh, we're off fossil fuels. Uh, I mean, things are going great. We, And, I mean, ask anybody who knows things about science, and they'll tell you, yeah, helium is the – or not – was it helium? Is it yeah. helium? Helium-3. It's, it's an inert gas. Yeah. yeah. It's a chemistry I was joke. actually thinking about hydrogen. Sorry. Yeah. Hydrogen. Hydrogen's the real one. But, I mean, th- there are theories out there about why don't we mine or collect resources from the greater galaxy? Why don't we get space travel up to that point? Um, and really th- – what they're doing is great. They have effectively solved all of our energy needs forever. They're just collecting, you know, extra sun radiation from the surface of the moon. So how bad is it that a couple of clones are dying? It makes you think. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm the last one to defend corporations in real life or in film. But but it, it, it kept thinking, you know, are they doing something that is justified? Is Sam Bell serving a greater good? The, the greater, greater good. good. Uh, and I'm not saying the answer to that is yes. I mean, probably not. Uh, but it definitely brings into question this idea of clone ethics and personhood. I mean, a clone's not technically a person. Technically, the real Sam Bell did his job, and they sent him home, and he was real good at it. So instead of training new people, I, I they never say this, but that's what I presume, is the original Sam Bell did, in fact, go to the moon. Um, and then they've cloned him because he was real good at the job and are just implanting all those memories into new clones who are going to do the job for him. That's what I guess as well. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting question. Uh, again, uh, we haven't done any human cloning yet that we know of, um, hopefully, uh, because it does bring up some very sticky and problematic ethical issues. I mean, is it a person? I guess, yeah, probably. I mean, for all intents and purposes, yeah, that's, that's a person. Um, but Sam Bell is basically being sacrificed on the altar of humanity for a clean, renewable, and as far as we can tell, uh, effectively infinite energy source um, that's going to probably save the planet from, you know, killing itself. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to, to me, this idea that maybe the bad guys in this film really aren't doing anything all that wrong. And then we, we you know, we see the emotional cost it takes on these clones, and we realize it probably is doing something uh, pretty wrong. Um, but, but it is, it, it's, it's really beautifully framed in this, this narrative of loneliness and identity. Um, and it's not something the film tackles really at all, you know, whether or not this, this is an inherently bad thing. It's really focused on the story of Sam Bell's five and six, uh, and, and how this 
charade uh, has affected them. I mean, they're going to be killed at the end of their three-year sentence, but uh, as far as we can tell, they're going to die anyway, even if they, they don't get in that uh, incineration pod. But um, I don't know. It was something I thought about a lot, this this viewing of the film. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? No, I think it's absolutely that. I mean, it, it's asking these questions, you know, what sort of sacrifice is okay? Mm-hmm. And if the sacrifice isn't voluntary, mm-hmm. does that automatically violate, you know, sort of the ethical um, component to such a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that I guess I'm okay. I'm trying to just get really in the weeds about this, but mm-hmm. the fact that why do they have to implant the memories of the wife? I mean, I know, I guess that gives him something to live for or what have you, but well, that, then we, then I don't, we don't know. It seems almost unnecessarily cruel. And then we don't have a movie if they don't do that, though. Okay. So. Well, that yeah, and he feels but... human. You have to sort of have that human connection. Otherwise, you probably would go mad very quickly. Yeah. It gives, gives, gives the clone a reason to want to stay sane and want to complete the mission, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, that was really, I mean, it's no... You know, I, I don't have any larger socio-political uh, thing, no, you know, really anything of depth to bring to it other than it's a question that I really struggled with throughout watching this film in a way that I didn't the first time I, I saw it. You know, the first time I saw it, I was just really wrapped in the story uh, and wrapped in, in Sam Bell as a character and Sam Rockwell as a performer and watching this this one-man performance. And speaking of while I'm on that, they do a really good job pretty seamlessly um, you know, having Sam Rockwell interact with himself is really impre- I'm always very impressed by yes. two, one actor, per, you know, interacting with two versions of himself. I always find that very interesting. But, um, man, yeah, it just the whole time, and even for several hours after finishing the film, I it was really weighing on me, the thought of, by taking the volun- – yeah, as Dustin said, by taking the voluntary aspect out of the sacrifice – does that inherently negate all goodness of the sacrifice? Probably. Um, but at the end of the day, it is serving a greater good. The, the greater, greater good. good. Um, <laughs> and um, you, you have to wonder. I mean, if, you know, we're, we're assuming this is probably 50 years in the future, if, you know, 7 to 8 billion people are getting to le- live healthier, cleaner, more productive lives uh, with this low with this, you know, infinite energy source, we've saved the world. Uh, does it matter that we are effectively enslaving and killing uh, beings that we created for that sole purpose? Um, and then it gives you the question, like, why can't we just let a robot do it? That's but, what I was but then there's But then there's no movie. Then there's um, no movie so, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, th- there is a logical problem of why can't Gertie just do all of this? But, but you know, no movie, so I get it. Um, why can't we have a bigger crew? No movie. Although that's probably a cost effectiveness thing at that point. Um, but it was something that really weighed on me and I'm sure Dustin, uh, will talk about the, the Marxist implications uh, of all of this as I very nearly did. But, uh, again, the, really the, the emotion and the, the hypothetical, uh, of it all really weighed on me in a way that a lot, you know, a lot of films open with a big hypothetical as the larger staging ground, um, for the film proper, I'm thinking uh, really of Neil Blomkamp's three films that he's made to this point, uh, and even Source Code. You know, laying that framework and then using that framework for the story. Moon doesn't really do that. Um, the framework is there solely so we can get two Sam Rockwells in a room together, really, I think, and to ask each other these questions about humanity. Um, but for me, the just the initial conceit of the film really weighed heavily on me, and I, I would encourage our listeners to think about it some more and, and get back to me on, on their thoughts. 
Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dolenster. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you bring in terms of analysis? Sure. Another point that I'd like to make on Dalton's stuff before I bring my analysis is the presence of the corporate executives and then Gertie. I think mm-hmm. if they had if they wanted to give us a simplistic story about how this evil corporation is taking advantage of these clones and really wanted to portray it with that heavy of a brush, they would have made Gertie some maniacal like Hell nine thousand AI. Yeah. I'm sorry? Hell 9000 from uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Yes. Yeah. They would have uh, made him just like this maniacal AI. They would have made the corporate executives like really um, cruel to him. Um, And we really don't get any evidence of that because I don't think that um, Jones wants to portray this issue so simplistically. You're right. He does. Because we would have sided with, we would have immediately sided with the clones had we have had any indication that he's being played and he's being manipulated and he's just getting like treated so poorly. And this AI is like an evil douchebag. Like if we had gotten a snit, a whiff of that, we would have been on the clone side immediately. But because he didn't, we're now asking these larger questions about, yeah, they're saving the planet and we're getting upset about a few clones. I mean, that sounds really harsh, but but you're absolutely right though. I mean, Duncan Jones definitely did himself a favor with that screenplay with his writing partner, whoever that was, I can't remember. But anyway, the, the screenplay is, you know, definitely doing a larger service to the film. Absolutely, I think you're right, Alex, because it very easily could have painted in those very large brushstrokes, and instead it just is kind of very these very short strokes. It doesn't really let tell you anything more than you absolutely 100% need to know because it's more interested in this other question of identity. Uh, and, and you're right, it would have totally changed the, the thought tone and feel of the film so absolutely what what are you thinking on for your analysis well i was just wanting to bring forth some brief commentary on the use of women as the motivator in isolationist films Mm -hmm. because um as arthur was saying this is definitely one of those films i think it goes I mean, I'm kind of spoiling my own Elsa instead, but I think it would easily pair with films like The Grey, Liam Neeson, that we watched mm. earlier for the podcast. Good episode. Yes, good episode. But um, you're right. I'm, well, and his wife is very much serving as a plot motivation, or rather a, a character motivation more than a plot motivation. Right. And so I just... My nitpicky thing is that why... Why? Why do we have to be using women in this way for these male heteronormative characters? Why why do they have to be boiled down to a few flashbacks and the flashbacks are if they're not in bed together, not necessarily in a sexual manner, they could be cuddling or whatever. Um why do they have to always be just portrayed in nothing more than this is my romantic partner and we don't get any insight into why these women are so meaningful to them. I know we get that a little bit with, I mean, the ending of the gray is like super powerful. And and I always think of how the parallel is here because of how the ending, how the gray does end Mm -hmm. and then how this movie ends with revealing that Tess dies. It's just, 
It really is bother. It really bothers me. Well, I just, think you bring up a good point. I, I think it's it's less of a why and more of a how. I think the why is is that you know romantic love is very much something of a universal that people can relate to. I think the how of how it uh, you know the how that's done is is really the more troubling aspect in that it's yeah it's very much a paper thin character that only serves to prop up Sam Rockwell's character and I I, th- I think you have a very good point there absolutely right and the fact that I don't know about you guys but I've never seen any isolationist films where the gender roles have flip-flopped where the woman's nah. going to be a badass and she has flashbacks of her possibly dead husband or children at the, home. the only female isolationist film I can think of is uh, uh, Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity uh, where Sandra Bullock is lost in space <laughs> uh, and trying to get back to Earth uh, and her you know her big character motivation is getting back home to her daughter um, but yeah as far as a woman trying to get back to her romantic partner I, I honestly can't think of a single there's not a lot of you know isolation films about women uh i mean even in the first alien we don't know why ripley wants to get i mean she doesn't really have much of a character motivation other than pure survival uh aliens uh she's protecting newt because she wasn't there to see her own daughter grow up but again yeah i'm I'm struggling to think of really that many um survival tales or isolation tales involving women as the primary uh, protagonist so i think you bring up some very valid points yeah it just that i mean if i had to get super nitpicky over that it's not so much a problem with mood it's not so much a problem with isolationist films it's mostly just a problem with our traditional gender roles as portrayed by society yeah for sure it's the women need to be the the things to be one the the goals to be strived for and it's fine to love your loved one and it's fine to want to if you're off on the moon or on a safari to be thinking of your your wife or your lover at home and using that as a way to get you through. I always think of like the men at war that had the portraits of their, um, their one at home waiting for them. And that really helped them a lot. But, but at the same time, it's just like, that's the only narrative we have about these things. Women are only used as the motivating factor. It's not moon's problem. It's filmmaking's problem. Exactly. It's just a questioning of these, these tropes and, on today, which is we're recording on March 8th, which is uh, International Women's Day. It's just really it, it it brings a lot of questions to my mind of when are we going to get to a point where women are more than motivators and romantic partners and we get to the point where women are people that can experience the same plots that men yeah. can. And it's not like this is a studio movie. I mean, this is an no. independent film. No, and it's a good film. Like, yeah, it, absolutely. Exactly. I get what you're saying. Well, I mean, clearly Tess is an object, not a subject. You know, yes. She's not an actor. She is um, one who's acted upon and one who uh, motivates the action of Sam Rockwell. Precisely. All right, well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. What I want to bring in terms of analysis is that I, I do want to think about um, you know, wage slavery because I think quite literally this, the clones are themselves slaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are... They're definitely not getting paid. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's the thing. Oh, my the, God, the, they the, totally are. No, they're getting fed and housed, <laughs> and then when their usefulness has been completed, they're killed. And, and so, you know, it becomes a situation in which, you know, the company is exploiting the labor... And uh, what we find in the film is a truly, truly alienated worker um, that this, um, you know, being divided from the means of production uh, causes an alienation of uh, Sam Bell from his family, 
uh, from the work itself. I mean, he produces a product and then he sends it off to Earth as, you know, again, a far, far away from himself. He is not seeing the benefits. And, of course, knowing now that they're three-year um, life she- uh, shelf life clones, he's not going to live to even enjoy the results of this H3 helium uh, as it is uh, being used on the planet. Uh, he's alienated from himself uh, immediately when the uh, clone shows up and he realizes that there's another one of himself. Uh, he cannot in any way sort of engage, and they become um, hostile with one another. And the alienation just continues and continues further and further on in the film. However, I think the film remains a slave to neoliberalism uh, because even though we see Sam Six not wishing to make sacrifices of others, he ends up doing precisely that. Uh, he does, uh, you know, he does a solid for Sam Seven in that he destroys one of the antennas, so maybe he has a live link home and can figure out what's going on. But he does go ahead and allow um, Sam Five to die, and uh, now that may have been inevitable, may have been nothing you can do about it. But he certainly is um, choosing the sacrifice of another uh, for the sake of himself. And again, that's sort of uh, what neoliberal capitalism does, is that even those who find themselves alienated and they want to rage against in some way, what they end up doing is uh, moving that exploitation from themselves to another just so they can get themselves further ahead. It it continues to be that dream of capitalism where uh, you find a way to stop being the exploited and then you yourself become the exploiter. What would have been more interesting in the film is had they wakened all the clones Wow, yeah. that's what I kept waiting for. Yeah, and and then kill the Eliza team, uh, and again the violence I think would have been necessary in that case, and uh, then something new and different could have happened when a small army uh, would have gone back to Earth and life would have been given to all of those clones, you know, whatever time that they might happen to have, and they would have gone, you know, uh, workers of the world unite and they have nothing to lose but their chains. Had that occurred, preach, brother. Uh, that would have been a far more, I think, interesting film. Not that the film itself was not interested, because it does try to change the conversation over to issues of personhood. And we see uh, the lack of result of this sort of, um, you know, selling one's soul to neoliberalism. When Sam Six gets to Earth, the uh, radio blurbs that we're hearing as he makes his way is that we don't know what he is, and he might just be some sort of uh, interloping uh, illegal immigrant to the planet, and uh, he may or may not be taken seriously. And so even though he may have gotten some small piece of freedom for himself, uh, there is still a vault full of workers who remain enslaved. And uh, I think the, the revolutionary possibilities of the film could have been much greater. Um, I hope to think that perhaps this reading is, is not uncommon, that others have thought similar thoughts. I haven't found anything like this yet on the interwebs, but uh, these are the thoughts that I was having and uh, what I would like to see more of in cinema because it is itself an industrial product uh, where workers who are, in, again, alienated from their own product are, are, sto- are sort of sublimating that same alienation, and the film itself demonstrates that rather than thinking better, um, demanding more, um, doing what the uh, French situation has suggested, which is uh, let's be reasonable and demand the impossible and do something else and different with society. And so that would be the analysis reading that I would like to offer for the film. Yeah, excellent. That was good. Alrighty, I knew I could count on you. (laughs) Well, you know, I I have a song. Well, thank you again very much. Uh, Let's move on and render a verdict. What shall we do with this film? Shelf or trash? And then what are our else's 
or insteads? I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Oh, definitely a shelf. This is a shelfable film to the core. If an emoji smiley face can make me cry, because I don't know about you, yeah. it made me cry. Yeah, Gertie, Gertie made me cry. Yeah. Um, if an emoji smiley face crying made me cry, this is a film that should be on a shelf. And obviously not for that reason. Um, we've already just blabbed on and on about why you should own this film, but I think it it needs to be on the shelf. I would recommend as my else's, I mentioned in my analysis that Liam Neeson's The Grey, which we have done on the, on the podcast. So you should check it out for another example of a an isolationist type film, even though he does have a cohort of people, he does still have the um, fe- female external motivation and um, has some crazy elements. In Cer- certainly more a man versus wild as yeah. opposed to man versus self, but yeah, definitely. But I he does see. have a questioning, of, a lot of questioning of himself, and then I always think of that I felt like the parallel between the ending of this film Moon and the ending of The Grey with that little post credit scene like the the pre credit scene here they're like oh there might be some hopish things might change yeah but anyway so i f- felt like the parallels there were interesting um and then my other recommendation and you should check this out dustin if you're interested in revolutionary um films involving energy and sp- space and stuff um, but the revolution will not be televised <laughs> Go ahead, though. I would love to hear the opportunity. I was going to say Tom Cruise's Oblivion. Yes, I do uh, want to check it out. Yeah, um, that I feel like that actually it, it deals with a lot of the same subject matter, but it also does go into the questions of uh, raging against the machine and what does it mean to be this group of people. And anyway, be it's not the echelons of great film, but it is. It will do for those little revolutionary urgings. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, shelf for trash, and what are your else's or instead? I think this is certainly worth shelving. I mean, it is definitely a, it's a good, a great uh, at first feature. Um, I, I mean, Duncan Jones have been working in commercials for a while. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great first feature film. Um, it's a, a great sci-fi movie, and it's a great Sam Rockwell movie. Um, I definitely think it adds a lot to the conversation, uh, and again, it's just very, very well made, and I think it's certainly worth your time. Um, if you're into collecting, yeah, absolutely, you should have it, because it's, it's not streaming really anywhere. Uh, I mean, it is hard to get a hold of. Um, as far as Elsa's, I just want to trumpet the work of Sam Rockwell. Um, he's he's such a good actor. Uh, he really is, um, and he, he's got a lot of work out there. Um, you know, he's been in some some larger productions uh, but the dude's been working since the early 90s. I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. As far as, you know, uh, Rockwell-centric films, um, definitely want to check out uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which was, if not the very first film George Clooney directed, certainly one of the first, um, about the Chuck Barris, the game show host, who purported to have been a CIA assassin uh, for several years. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really great movie. Um, I would also recommend you check out Choke, uh, which is an adaptation of the novel by Chuck Palahniuk, uh, written, directed, and co-starring Clark Gregg of uh, Marvel comic books fame. Uh, 
famous for playing Agent Coulson in the Marvel Universe, but uh, he wrote, uh, directed, and acted in this adaptation of Choke, which uh, Chuck Palahniuk, obviously very famous for writing Fight Club. Um, Choke is not a perfect film, but Sam Rockwell gives a great performance in it. It's, he has a lot of fun there, and it's you know it's his show, um, and they have a really fun commentary track on that together. Uh, you should also check out Charlie's Angels, where Sam Rockwell plays the bad guy awesomely. He's easily one of the best parts uh, of that film. Uh, and finally, I do want to recommend one lesser-known Sam Rockwell film, because I feel like most people have probably heard of uh, all of those films if they haven't seen them. Uh, you should check out a film he did uh, with Joe uh, Mantegna, Mantegna. I always forget how to say his name. From 1998 called Jerry and Tom. Uh, it was streaming on Netflix for quite a while. I don't know if it still is, but it's a uh, it, it's about two con two you know mafia contract killers and their relationship. Um, I guess it never. Oh, I found out why it's a little scene. It did, looks like it never got a theatrical release. Um, it was released pretty much exclusively on Showtime, but it's been streaming for a long time. And I happened to just check it out one day, and it's really good. Uh, early Sam Rockwell work again. Anything with Sam Rockwell is worth your time because he is that good of an actor. Uh, and yeah, probably check out Duncan Jones' second feature, Source Code. Um, it's not as good as Moon. It's definitely more actiony, and it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, has a pretty solid Jill and Hall performance in it. But um, if if you like Moon, Source Code is definitely worth your time just to check out. I have a bought and copy of it on my shelf, and I have yet to check it out. So. You should definitely watch it. I think you like your recommendation. It. I probably will. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? Shelf or trash? And what are your else's or instead's? Well, I'm not gonna take this train off the tracks. So I'll say put it on the shelf. Uh, just for all the reasons listed above. Uh, I'd say you watch this with The Shining, and I also think this would pair interestingly with uh, Groundhog Day uh, with the great Bill Murray. Nicely played. Uh, Interesting. I I would also... As with Source Code. Yes. Yes, it would. Probably more so The Moon, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would also say check out Avatar because going into foreign lands and mining for uh, natural resources, plus they came out around the same time, roughly about a year apart or a few months apart. Yeah, no, they're both 2009 films. I yeah. mean, I think Moon was early 2009. Avatar's later in the year. Late. Holiday season. It was Christmas yeah. 2009 around there. And then lastly, I would also check out a small indie film by Mike Cahill and co-written by he and indie darling Britt Marling uh, called Another Earth. And then finally, for more Sam Rockwell awesomeness, rush out to see The Way, Way Back. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. I also am going to say Shelf. I think it's totally a shelfable film. I think it's really interesting. I think it's gorgeous and beautiful, and I echo all the things my co-hosts have said uh, about the movie, so it's totally worth your time, and it's quite interesting theoretically and critically uh, for that. Now, in terms of my else's, I have several. Uh, for Sam Rockwell and sort of questioning humanity and uh, perhaps pushing back against some of the tropes of society, check out Seven Psychopaths. Uh, which I think is yeah. an excellent yes. selection for that. I think in terms of science fiction raging against the machine, you could do no better than The Matrix, and so you should definitely check that out. And then in terms of uh, the machine synthetic human uh, being created and their humanity remaining, uh, perhaps you ought to check out Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Correct. Which is, yeah, I mean, sort of the obvious pick. And finally, I think there's a bit there where it apes uh, sections of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> a little I, bit. I love that movie so much, and it's so silly what he does with it. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate that. And, of course, I think 2001 is always worth your time and because it also has a very, very interesting, although much more malevolent AI uh, in terms of that film. How have we never done Blade Runner on this show? It just never has happened. Hmm. Well, we one should day. probably do something about that. You know, it's interesting that one of uh, his plants is named Ridley. 
which is a nice probably reference probably uh, to Mr. That. Scott's work. Oh, I missed that. At first, I was thinking Alien because space, but obviously, probably more That's obviously to, uh, so, yeah. Blade, to uh, Blade Runner. Excellent, excellent. Well, dear listener, we so are so glad that you've listened so far, and we would probably love to hear your feedback, but you probably need to know something about how to do that and how to continue the conversation with us all. And so I go to you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. you know anything about social media means by which conversations could be held? Uh, yes, you could check us out in several areas on the interwebs. Uh, first and foremost, you could email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. If you are well integrated with the Gmail, you can find us on Google+. Plus. You can search for us there. Uh, in response to our recent requests for fan choice films over on Google+, Plus, username the Rolling Beatles 123 made some suggestions. Uh, first, he suggested we do 12 Angry Men, but I uh, alerted him that we had already done a episode-ish over 12 Angry Men for our spinoff, uh, Du Cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he made some more suggestions. Uh, Citizen Kane. The Graduate, he's got a niche. Uh, and Clearly. Then, and then, out of left field, Devil's Rejects. And so... Uh, one of these things There's a chance that one may make it on the show. Like the it other. is also streaming on Hulu Plus, which would make it accessible. There you go. So, uh, we may get to that Rolling Beetle 1, 2, 3. Rolling Beetle 1, 2, 3. Watch more movies from the last 50 years. Although, I've been meaning to catch up with The Graduate Citizen Kane for quite a while, so... Graduate's fun. Yeah. Kind of. Not not quite quite within the realm of what we do on this show, but certainly do cinema picks, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it's heralded. Uh, over on the Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast, uh, on fan request, Nick Sanford says, Twister, in all caps, uh, it was set in Oklahoma, was mostly filmed in Oklahoma, and the podcast is from Oklahoma. How could you not? Question mark. Don't tell us what to do, Nick. Fran King suggests V for Vendetta. And then Randall Bays makes another suggestion uh, with John Waters' Serial Mom. So. That's a fantastic movie. I love that movie so much. And Randall and Nick are going back and forth on uh, a Commenter of the Week. And so on recently seen movies, I asked if anybody had been to the picture show. Uh, Nick Sanford said, I saw American Sniper, and I honestly don't see why the left and right are fighting each other so much about it. It was just a fake baby. <laughs> And then on movies that should have won Oscars, Randall Bays chimed in with Romancing the Stone, LOL, and Caravaggio, Car- Caravaggio by Jarman. Maybe. That's a good pick. I'd really good like pick, to watch good. Romancing the Stone would be fun. That'd be a that's good trash. Who suggested that? That was just a that was a who should have won an Oscar. A who should have won an Oscar. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> was Romancing the Stone nominated for an Oscar? It might have been. I don't think so. We live in a world where Indiana Jones, Jaws, and Jurassic Park. Well, the rest of Park wasn't. But Let's Indiana Jones and Jaws and Star, Star Wars were. There you go. So, Romancing the, the Stone could. I'm going to go look it up. that Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture. That's, that's, we also that's live in world. that world. That's we live in the darkest world. timeline. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> but that's all I've got coming in from the Facey Facebook. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart. Do you know anything else about social media means by which conversation could be held? I'm sorry, Dustin. I can't allow you to tweet that. Ladies and gentlemen... The Good Trash Genre Cast can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, we don't really have any feedback uh, to speak of coming in this week. I think uh, we we exhausted a lot of that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I do want to point out, though, um, we have uh, some new followers, some new favorites, some new retweets from uh, faces I haven't seen before, which was uh, very much appreciated. Uh, we did have one suggestion from uh, Elizabeth Collins, that's at ecollins88, who you can hear interviewed on our Southwest PCA conference interview show. Uh, she suggested uh, for You Pick the Trash, uh, how about Dragonheart 3? 
Just kidding. <laughs> wow. Wouldn't put you guys through that. Dragonheart 3 is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, if that's something you're interested in, I am not. Wait. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that they had made that movie. It like, came out a month ago, I think. On yeah. st- instant oh. video streaming. Straight to streaming, yeah. yeah. Ew. Um, Ian Daw, uh, that's at Ian Daw 42 wrote in, uh, trying to play a little matchmaker for uh, Dustin and an- another... Uh, film theory person out there uh so that was cute to see back and forth uh being the be, be, i creeped that it was adorable being the admin for the good trash genre cast twitter <laughs> i i'm privy to a lot of things that are like i'm not actually the one being addressed like the show is not being addressed yeah somebody else is being addressed but they've tagged the show because it pertains to the show and i end up being privy to a lot of information things yes uh, producer's note uh, Romancing the Stone does have an Oscar nomination for film editing and it won Golden Globe for best musical or comedy and a nomination for best performance nope lying to you uh, best performance win by an actress in a motion picture comedy musical for Kathleen Turner Kathleen wow. Turner is great in that movie she is so good uh, but that's really all we have coming in uh, from Twitter this week uh, kind of kind of a slow week over there well, thank you very much, Mr. Donaldson. And, of course, you can give us uh, comments and ratings on iTunes, uh, at the Podbean website, and also at Stitcher Internet Radio. And we covet those in crazy ways and would love, love to have those things uh, sent to us and then read on the air. But let's move on, guys, because I'm thinking it's probably time to play the game. It's time to play the game. This week's game is our favorite cinematic artificial intelligences. Uh, That's right. Favorite cinematic artificial intelligences. Brought to you by Duncan Jones Moon. Duncan Jones Moon. Isn't Gertie a sweetheart? Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, we You're welcome. With, <laughs> we begin with those picks uh, to my left. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Well, one movie that I could not keep out of my head when watching this film, for no reason, because there is a fun artificial intelligence, is Hitcher's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and with pick. Um, Alan Mc- Rickman uh, voicing our AI. And Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I know, and that. then I creeped his IMDb, and I was like... That's a familiar face. Sam Rockwell has been a... Uh, thir- he's that guy. He's been for- he's that guy. He's been fourth or fifth banana in a lot of movies. Yeah. A lot of major studio releases. I almost yeah. said Cowboys and Aliens just for the fun of Cowboys and Aliens. Most of most of his starring or uh, close to starring uh, roles have been in independent films. Yes, definitely. Um, and then my other pick for fun artificial intelligence is from... Yeah, I think it originated in the original old Doctor Who, but uh, K-9, Sarah Jane, um, her little robot dog. I can't even remember the context in which she gets the dog, but then it also um, comes back in the new Who, starting with uh, Christopher Eccleston, one of those episodes in that first season as well. But that's always just a... It's fun. It's, It's a fun callback, especially for fans of the older series and you see the uh, K-9 who is a uh, dog obviously uh, but a robot I had a friend who built K-9 out of cardboard Uh, I wish I still had pictures of that get it it really good K-9 yeah it's bunny well thank you very much Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Arthur Gordon what are your favorite artificial intelligences in cinema I would 
just shout out Mr. R2-D2 as being the cutest robot to ever grace a screen. Um, and I'm reminded of it every time I turn on my Xbox because I have a special edition Xbox that is designed like R2-D2 and beeps when you turn it on. Cool. It's great. Uh, I would also, uh, growing up, I wasn't really a tr- Star Wars fan. Uh, every Saturday night, you found me in front of the TV watching uh, one Star Trek The Next Generation uh, with arguably one of the greatest AIs of all time, and that is Data, uh, played by Brent, Brent Spiner, uh, however you want to pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> I think Brent is the is only Brent, way. I, think I, Br- I can never, I don't know. Brent. Brent. Bryant. <laughs> anyway, Data was my favorite character probably on that show growing up. He's a lot of fun. I think uh, uh, Mr. Spiner brought a lot of uh, humanity and a lot of fun to that role. And it was also fun to see him play Data's evil twin brother, Lore, that on the show as well. With the mustache! <laughs> or the it's goatee. the darkest timeline. the goatee, just like Spock. That's how you but know. that's how you know someone's you evil. Know. Somebody's got a goatee. <laughs> Black goatee, that's evil. Um... I was sorry. I was looking. I was looking at everyone's faces to see who was the, actually the evil twin, and it, currently it's only Arthur because he has the the facial hair. Uh, Dustin and I cannot grow goatees. I will never be the evil twin. No, <laughs> no. I am from the darkest if, timeline. If you see me with a goatee, run or yeah. fire one or the other. <laughs> I used to think there was too much Indian in me. There's just too much boy. That's fair. I have two more quick picks. Um, I would say. I want to highlight specifically David, uh, played by Michael Fassbender in Prometheus. Yeah, that's why I was thinking Mm -hmm. Gertie was going to turn out. Mm. But I I think at least Alien and Aliens have strong AI uh, figures on the ships as well, but I think David's is just really fun. And I I would, you know, as much as I prefer Alien and Aliens probably to Prometheus, although Prometheus is fine in its own right, I think it got a lot of unnecessary flack. Yeah. Uh, Fassbender's performance is just remarkable. It really is. I do have a soft spot for Lance Hendricks, uh, Hendrickson's excuse me, um, Bishop. Yeah. yeah. He's very good. All right. My last one that just came to me while we were playing the game, uh, but I'm going to mention uh, the titular robot from Robot and Frank, starring Frank Langella, uh, who is a elderly man who has received a home care nurse in the form of a robot, and their friendship and the, the story just takes a wonderful turn. It's a great film if anybody hasn't seen it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? Dustin's pick of uh, Blade Runner during Elster instead uh, reminded me of Rucker Hauer's fabulous performance as Roy Batty in uh, Blade Runner. Um, Tears in the rain. Correct. Man, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, how? I mean, really, the very first one that came to mind was the AI that taught us all how to cry and taught us all how to lift, and that's Anna Schwarzenegger. As the T, the Cyberdyne Model One Hundred One T Eight Hundred, specifically uh, in Terminator Two: Colon Judgment Day, which we have done on the show before in a very good episode. Correct. If I uh, do say so myself. Now I know why you cry. I know now why you cry. <laughs> you can't just go around shooting people. Why? <laughs> what? Why not? <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, those first three rules of robotics happen right there. Uh, Finally, I do actually want to give a, a shout-out to a very, very recent film AI, uh, and that's from Neil Blomkamp's Chappie, which uh, has just got a theatrical release a few days ago uh, from when we're recording. I saw it literally the day before we're recording. Um, I want that little robot in my life. <laughs> Chartel Copley is so adorable as that robot. Yeah. I am Chappie. Dustin, what are your picks for uh, favorite film AI? I want to make selections in terms of Star Trek and in, fr- in terms of actual computer um, artificial intelligence. Of course, the HAL 9000 deserves a mention at this point. So, there, obligatory HAL 9000. 
it's great. Yes. Uh, but uh, I, I'm thinking about Majel Barrett's voice of the computer in uh, the entirety of the Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. You know, she was a wife of Gene Roddenberry, and, uh, you know, we're, we're still mourning the passing of Leonard Nimoy, and I think that mention is very necessary. I also love very much the computer AI in Galaxy Quest, which can only be effective if it's spoken to by Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and whose statements are repeated by Sigourney Weaver. I find that to be interesting and silly and funny and sort of fantastic. And uh, it's just something I very, very, very much uh, appreciate and enjoy. So those are my picks. Dear listener, we would love to hear your selections for favorite artificial intelligences in cinema. And you can do that via those means of social media that we have already discussed. But enough of this. It's time to wrap up the show and talk about what we always talk about to conclude. And that is what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Dalton, are you fired up? Uh, a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, I saw Chappie, and I like it a lot more than most people seem to be liking it. It is uh, not getting great reviews. Uh, it's actually getting mostly negative reviews, uh, which I feel is unfortunate because I liked it quite a bit more than I liked Elysium. I feel like it might have been a little bit messier plot-wise, but um, in, in terms of the questions it was asking, it certainly felt a little less ham-fisted than um, Elysium. Uh, although, you know, Elysium. Hella great action scenes. And that's, you know, same which will about Blomkamp's films. Even when they're flawed, at least they look amazing, uh, both in terms of production design and special effects. Really putting things on screen that you haven't seen before. Uh, you know, it's science fiction copies from itself a lot. And um, Neil Blomkamp's films, you know, seem to have their very own look. You know, they have a personality that is all their own. But I, you know what? I'm going to recommend you check out Chappie. Um, if only for Chantal Copley's amazing performance and the very weird performances by the two members of uh, Der Antwoord, De Antwoord, I don't know how to say oh, it. Oh, the South African, the South African group. rap yeah. group. Very strange. Very strange. They're playing themselves in an alternate universe where they didn't become musicians. Interesting. It's very strange. This um, got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's not. Unfortunate. Rotten it's not. Tomatoes don't know anything. Well, but yeah. and it's a 42 on Metacritic and 7.4 on IMDb. Well, review aggregates are horseshit, but, uh, and IMDb's, you know, that's user-based. Yeah. I mean, it's not without its problems, but I, I like it a lot more than uh, the critical sphere seems to be liking it at this moment. Uh, another thing that I've been enjoying this weekend is... Uh, Netflix's new original series from Tina Fey and Robert Carlyle, the people behind, I think Carlyle, I can't remember what his name is, the people behind 30 Rock, uh, and that was uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which NBC dropped and Netflix picked up, and it is so good. If you haven't uh, seen it, I I really recommend it. It's it should be showing up on your you know like the spotlight as soon as you open up Netflix. It should be showing up all over there right now. Very very funny. I mean you can watch it uh, in a day and still go do something that night. I mean yeah. it's thirteen episodes, uh, twenty two minutes a piece. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Yeah, I've got a couple things. The first thing I mentioned is uh, today I watched the trailer for the sixth season of Community coming to Yahoo, mm-hmm. and it looks soon, like it could, very soon, March seventeenth, I believe. It's it's around the corner. Um, but I Community is one of the, a, one of the greatest shows, one of the smartest shows of the last few years, and it's kind of been jerked around uh, production wise and studio wise. Uh, but it's getting a final resting place on Yahoo video i don't know how that works uh but uh, you can check that out there go watch the first five seasons on hulu and get caught up because it's a great show um the other thing i was able to catch a uh, new movie called what we do in the shadows yes uh, co-written co-directed by most notably jemaine clement from uh formerly of flight of the concords jemaine clement's a good name because it, is it a, forces you to do uh, that kiwi accent yeah it's jemaine clement it's a great name um, I'm very excited to catch this film. It is a, for those who don't know, it is out of New Zealand. It is a mockumentary uh, that follows uh, four flatmate vampires and essentially just the mundane life that they actually live. And it's vampires. not all that exciting to be a vampire. And some conflict arises and they get introduced to some, some technical age, Facebook and cameras, phones and things of that nature. I've heard a lot of things about it. And it's it's a... I, I rated it pretty highly on my letterbox, and that may have been just the funnest of it. Uh, speaking, of, I don't know if it's that great, but it, it is a lot of fun. I laughed a lot. Um, there's some great nods to vampire films. Uh, there's a fourth flatmate who uh, uh, shows up occasionally. They don't really speak to him, but he is in the nose for a two vein of vampire. He lives in the basement, <laughs> and people just kind of stay away from him. His name is Peter, and of nobody messes with Peter. Peter, who lives in the basement. <laughs> and so it's uh. it's a lot of fun. So go check that out if you like comedies, vampires, and things just kind of spoofing that. It'd probably be a really good feature, uh, co-feature with last week's film, uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Mm-hmm. I can testify the realism of this film, having not seen it, because as a vampire, I am very bored. It's they just they play with the vampire tropes so much. I, I'm going to go on forever. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is I'm getting caught up on some spring TV premieres that came out mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. I watched uh, Fox's uh, new show starring Will Forte, directed by Miller and Lord, uh, The Last, last Man, Man on, on Earth. Earth. How is it? It's going to take me a bit, I think. Okay. The hooks. I mean, it's. I mean, essentially, he's the last man on Earth. And then he finds out there's one other person on Earth, and so. We're gonna see where it goes. It's an interesting dynamic between the two characters, and I'm, I'm I know who that other person is, and I like them a lot. Yeah. So it's it's not a volleyball, is it? There is a really fun play on Castaway is there? in that show. There is a funny. great play on. There's Castaway. There's a great Castaway joke in uh, Unbreakable Ellie or the Unbreakable Kelly Schmidt, Kimmy Schmidt. Sorry, is there? Yeah, there's a good Castaway joke in there. That's funny. There's man. There's a really funny play on that in. Uh, in the last man on earth i also checked out from the writer of 12 years a slave american crime starring timothy hutton and felicity huffman they were pimping that real hard during the oscars yeah they were and it is it is intriguing to say the least it's going to be a slow burn Mm -hmm. huffman knocks it out of the park hutton Mm -hmm. is heart-wrenching and it's going to be interesting to see the direction they go. From what I understand, it's just a limited 11-show uh, run. It's, yeah, it's going to be an anthology series. So uh, something similar to American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. But it's True very detective. interesting. Yeah. It's probably different from anything else on ABC or CBS right now. Uh, more in the vein of the Showtime FX series that we've become accustomed to in Keep the recent years. I will. Uh, the other one I checked out is Ryan Phillippe's uh, Secrets and Lies, which is essentially Gone Girl. But on TV, yeah, I saw that. I was as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, "This is this is Gone Girl." This one, it's a little more melodramatic. I think. I think I'll I'll be. I watched the first two episodes and I was hooked. Okay. Uh, and that's all they're out right now. 
Um, Philippe does a really good job. A lot of the acting is really strong. Philippe. Um, it's Arthur. I'll say what I want. Uh, Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband, uh, Ryan Philippe, um, <laughs> stars as a man who finds a child murdered in the woods, and essentially he becomes suspect numero uno, much mm-hmm. akin to... It's essentially Gone Girl. It yeah. really is. Uh, what, the way and, it plays um, out the first couple episodes. What's her doodles? The detective. Uh, Juliet Lewis yeah. of Natural Born Killers oh, fame. Y- you mean uh, Juliet Lewis? I will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> so, lastly, one more show I'm, I want to check out. I haven't yet. It's called The Slap, starring Zachary Quinto. I believe maybe Uma Thurman's in there. Mm-hmm, I think so. Uh, yeah. It's which, a remake of an Australian series, right? Probably. All, all American TV is a remake. Uh, Secrets and Lies is a remake of another TV series. So, it's all remakes anymore because America can't do anything right blah, blah, blah. Um, or can't tell stories right. Except for Better Call Saul. Which is exceptions. a spinoff of another series. <laughs> yeah, but the original content was made here. Just saying. Um, but the slap features, uh, follows a parent who slaps a neighbor's child and essentially raises those questions of the descent and who was right, who was wrong. What, I, that's all I know. Each episode follows uh, one character is my understanding, which is interesting. That's probably true. The I way I understand one it. Se- yeah, it's a mini-series. Uh, but uh, this, is, this one reminds me of... Uh, Carnage by, I cannot think of anybody. Oh, uh, Polanski. Roman yeah, Roman Polanski's yeah. Carnage, uh, which featured two couples trying to figure out how to discipline their children after a, a schoolyard tussle. And hey, so, man, I've wanted to slap the shit out of somebody else's kid before, so I can relate. True story, Dustin. Uh, anyway, oh. <laughs> Damn. I will stab you in your <laughs> neck. And that's all I'm fired about this week. Well, thank you very About much. About slapping Dustin's children. All I will right. Bury your body in the woods later today. <laughs> oh my god! I'll see you again. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. <laughs> thank you. For he's not gonna. That. Don't worry, listener. He's not gonna kill Arthur because then he'd have to uh, edit the show. Yeah, I don't really want to do that at all. So, Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up this week? I am a little bit. So I. Uh, alluded to Better Call Saul a few minutes ago. It's really, it's a really, really great show. Um, season, no, no, no. episode five has come to a really interesting point. Uh, it's really definitely coming into its own. And apparently episode six, we're going to learn more about Mike's um, backstory, which will be fun. That's interesting. To say the least, yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I'm also fired up about something... Dota related that you guys could get excited about. So they are Justin Royland, creator of Rick and Morty, has finally worked it out with Adult Swim. They are going to make an announcer pack for Dota that is Rick and Morty voicing That's cool. for the game, which is co-creator. Pretty, yeah, so because Dan Harmon's one of the co-creators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the main voice of the show. So that'll be that's pretty cool. Um, we're still hoping that Snoop one day will do an announcer pack. He said he would on Reddit. Like he told everyone on Reddit that he would, but Snoop, Snoop, Doggy Snoop, Dog, Doggy Dog, the master of blunts, Snoop Lion, Snoop Lion, yes, definitely. So that that really got me quite excited. Um, let's see what else. I uh, watched Cabaret with my um, roommate this past week. It was okay. I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> I'm just okay. over if I am over mu- movie musicals or. It's not that musically, but yes, it was long. Anyway, um, and I think that's about it. I can't really... I had one more thing, but I can't remember what it was. Um, so it obviously wasn't important. Dustin Sells, what are you fired up about this week in pop culture? Well, first and foremost, I'd like to list uh, Netflix's House of Cards. 
which I'm only about four episodes into. and The third season. The third yeah. season, the new third season that just dropped in its entirety, uh, which was leaked a little ahead of time, and uh, Netflix were very, very good sports about it, and they tweeted out, it's Washington, there's always leaks. And, and brought it back. So I, I thought that was quite funny. But I, uh, I started watching The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because I needed to stop watching um, House of Cards. I was like, there's only, I've only got four episodes left. i got to slow down. It makes one's heart sad. I, I'm loving, loving the uh, Vladimir Putin episode with a different character, Petrovich or yeah. Petrov. You know who that is, right? Uh, it's Mads Mikkelsen's brother. Is it Mads' that's brother? That's why it looks like him. Yeah, that's, oh why my looks, God. that's why he looks like Mads no Mikkelsen's his brother. And he keeps coming back. He's a recurring character throughout that season. Ah, uh, Well, it's also featuring a cameo by Pussy Riot and a uh, bit of video there at the end. Really cool. Love, love, love uh, all of that sort of uh, wisdom uh, of, of the real world that's being tied into it. So I couldn't recommend House of Cards uh, more highly. It is the dark West Wing, and uh, good times uh, would be had by all for that. I also want to talk uh, just briefly about sports for a second. I'm very excited Boo. about two things in the sports world. First of all, boxing has come back to NBC and that's uh, cool. That's how I was saying that happened yesterday, which would have been March the 7th. And uh, so that's very exciting. Also, baseball has begun again. We have preseason games going on right here and right now. And you guys know I love the baseball. And so that is a good time for me. Go Rangers. Uh, I also am a member of the Film Society at Oklahoma State where I'm doing uh, some student work and they have uh we had a screening this is last week and we got i got a chance to check out monster uh which is a jennifer kent's short uh preamble to the babadook it is basically the same thing and it's really great and really good and it's on the youtube so watch it watch it now I got to catch the Babadook recently, and it is it is chilling and unnerving as all get out. Uh, I am kind of excited. The Blu-ray coming out uh, has packaging designed to look like the storybook from the film, so oh it looks kind of cool. So scary, and I believe the storybook itself has been made and produced, and you can order it online if you want. Yes, to that is true. I checked like. that out. The, the first version, not the significantly more horrifying second version in the film. But yeah, it's like fifty dollars. <laughs> Again, it's a great gift for children you don't like. So uh, Arthur would be giving it to Dustin's kids. Yeah, don't be mad come Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad in advance. I, I, I think actually Dustin would probably be very happy to yeah, have he'd that. Take yeah, it and be he, like, would, oh, he would hide I it. I better hang this on to is this. Mine. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to do an anti-hipster thing. I finally got around to catching Birdman. And, of course, the hipster thing to do is now that Birdman has won the Academy Award for Best Picture for last year, uh, for everyone to begin to hate upon said film. And I have to say, of the Academy Award nominees I've seen, which include Boyhood, it's probably the one I would have voted for. It would not have made my nominations list likely, but of what was available, yeah, I would say, yeah, that was the best picture. I really, really liked it. A I whole disliked lot. Birdman before it was cool to dislike Birdman. That's true. I That's remember several quite months ago hipster he was. Of you. This is why you're a hipster and I'm not, and therefore superior. That's you have shitty taste in movies. That's okay. <laughs> so, have you seen Whiplash yet? I have not. Oh, right. I can't we wait need to watch to that see one. It. Let's all watch it together. That'd be fun. Be a fun date. It's about to come out. I know. It's already out. <gasps> let's do it's that. It's been out. Oh, let's do that. Make it happen. Good luck finding it. I went to like 15 stores trying to find it, and I couldn't find it anymore. Holy shit. It's not on like Amazon Prime? Well, no, he wants it physically. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, Arthur's you, a collector. You all, you all laugh at me now, but when the uh, internet falls and dies a terrible, terrible death, I'll be laughing. we have to have movies to watch during the apocalypse. You'll all come crying. <laughs> oh, my God. The zombie invasion. We're going to Arthur's house, because at least we won't be bored. Thank you very much, dear co-host, for all that lovely banter. We move on to conclude the show. We need to announce what's happening next week. Again, it is hashtag you pick the trash month and that's the, this week's picker of the trash is mr fran king a uh, recent uh subscriber on the book face and a follower of various other means of social media who has recommended v for vendetta from the wishy brothers no they are producers on that oh who directed uh i can't remember it's the same guy that directed Was ninja assassin it was Steve. 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 Who told you that? <laughs> was, was it Steve? Steve. Uh, Be more constructive with your feedback. Please. We'll figure out who the director is by the time we actually do the show. But Fran, thank you very much for the recommendation. Fran, one... Fran's a new listener and has done a great job of just being there for the feedback. And we, we really appreciate that. So we're going to watch V for Vendetta next week. And I'm very excited. It's a movie I like quite a bit. And so that's what's happening next time. In the meantime, watch Moon, watch the longer syllabus we gave you with our else's or instead's, and have a conversation. The movies are so much more than just a little time spent with some escapist entertainment. Uh, They are conversations about our lives and how we live, and they can make us more meaningful and more satisfied in our existence. So do that, and we will see you all next time. Play twist.